You're watching the Badass Lady Folk, previously of Brooklyn on Radio Free Brooklyn only, but this is the first ever video episode. That's why I'm looking right at you, camera. And for those of you who are listening on Radio Free Brooklyn or one of the podcast platforms only, know that you can tune in to Manhattan Neighborhood Network to watch us on video, on TV. My illustrious guests are Fiamma Piacentini and Melanie Gaudreau. Yay! Mm -hmm. Hi, ladies. Hey. Hey. So, (laughs) Badass Lady Folk is a show that is all about women who are kicking buns big and small. There is a New York City frame of mind. We also have some wonderful non-binary folks who have been on the show. But basically, no men. (laughs) No men. Sorry, guys. (laughs) Sorry, guys. Aw, things are so hard for them, right? (laughs) So, I have chosen both of you because you are such beautiful, inspiring human beings. You're artists. You're just very kind, in addition to being incredibly talented and hardworking. I really admire what I've seen you produce and also how I've noticed you just work with people, how you treat people, which is as important, perhaps more important, definitely more important. Um, And I invited you because I knew you would be charitable and patient. (laughs) with me for this first video episode but I really wanted to focus on your work in theater Uh, we might have a chance to talk on some other topics in the arts but really I want to hear about your experiences being women in New York City theater so I'm gonna just briefly describe how I see your work, what I know of it. With Fiamma, I think of movement and physicality and liveliness. And with Melanie, I think of poetry and genre blending and a lot of intergenerational dynamics. But those are my words. So how, Fiamma, would you describe your theater work? Um... Well, I, I do some acting as well, and I um, I do movement, which is different than dance. Um, it's more of like, a, you know, movement for theater, kind of um, physical theater blend. There's maybe, you know, some light choreography, usually nothing crazy. For me personally, I like to work with people who aren't dancers because I, I love to see how they move their bodies and how that's different than a dancer and how they interpret things, um, uh, text or music in their bodies when they're not dancers. I think that that's really um, very riveting to me. Um, I'm also a frustrated dancer, so I feel like that that might be where it comes from, where I'm like, okay, well, I'm not a professional dancer, but the way that I move has um, value to it, and I think that, that um, that's something to explore with, with people who are not inherently like professional dancers or can have their bodies move that way. Hmm. Gorgeous. All right, Melanie, how would you succinctly (laughs) describe your style? I liked your words, too, there. What, poetry, intergenerational? I think that's because of the piece that we did together. Um, Which was the White Blacks at Theater for the New City. Right, right, right. Um, hmm, Let's see. Well, I'm a playwright. I I consider myself a dramatist because I do do it all. I am an actor also. I am a writer, a director. Um, And I guess I think that for me, 
creating plays and creating uh, stories in this way has been a way for me. It's almost therapeutic. Do you know what I'm saying? It's it's the way that I sort of, if I'm working out a particular thing that I need to understand and process, I've now built stories that address generational issues, things that have happened in my own culture in New Orleans, or if it's grief, it, I will find the story around it. Uh, I'll probably put it to a particular historical event that might be based in truth, and then I have fun embellishing it and making it fantastical and... Um, I guess that's where the genre blending com comes up in style because people have mentioned that before. So I wonder what you mean by that. But anyway, but yeah, so. Yeah, I, I mean, know. for me, I I think in terms of literally the media and the formats, like the way you've brought uh, projection and mm -hmm. video into your work, but I also think in terms of genre, uh, like you have almost a soap opera in the white blacks with the living room, <laughs> yeah. uh, family dynamics, but then you also have historical drama with things that happened in the 1940s and 50s, yeah. and mm -hmm. those scenes are more formal and feel more like, yeah, like historical drama. Yeah, no, I understand, yeah. So yes, so that's me just listening to the story, how it occurs to me, occurs to me and then being able to create Listen, listen to it, and then put it up how I see it. So I don't know. Yeah. If that says anything about my style? <laughs> my style. Well, how how did both of you get into theater? How did you get into the arts in general? Why theater? Oh God. Rock paper scissors. I can I can tell you that I said this yeah. to someone the other day. I, it's interesting. I think I fell into to theater, not because there was. It, almost not as a lack of, like, not lack of resource. Seeing a theater space, being in a high school, having all those stories, and wanting to be able to produce something, but not having anything in place. There wasn't, like, a drama club. There wasn't, like, the right teacher to do it. And I was just like, you know what? I'm going to seize this opportunity and start making up stuff. Do you know what I mean? So I feel like as a young person, I was like... The lack of resources is what made me say, "Okay, what can I what can I put here that I that I haven't seen before?" So I'm self taught in that way. Do you know mm. what I mean? Yes. Like I kept creating possibilities for myself, and then those possibilities to me have gotten bigger or broader or given me more opportunities to create. So. Yeah, because essentially you just need bodies and spaces and an imagination, right? We have all these other resources sometimes yeah. when we're fortunate but we don't necessarily need them to tell a story. Yeah, you need to be creative about the resources yeah. that you have to create the images and art that you want to make. Even or especially when it's painful to be that resourceful. Fiamma! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Why did you get into theater? Speaking of lack of resources. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I've, I've always been, uh, I feel like I've always kind of been an actor, performer at heart. You know, I, I used to put on shows for, for my mom and my sister when I was little. We had, like, these double French doors, and I would, like, you know, that was, like, my stage. Mm -hmm. um, but I grew, up, I grew up in Mexico, and, you know, in Mexico, schools don't have theater programs, you <laughs> know. Um, schools are very academic, and um, there is, you know, theater is around, but it really, it takes effort to find it and to, you know, especially for a child, to find, like, a theater program in Mexico. is just not that common. Um, <laughs> so I kind of did it myself when I could, um, when, you know, 
when I went to high school, I ended up going to an American school that did have a theater program, an American school in Mexico, um, and was in, like, even though I'm not a very good singer, they allowed me to be in their musicals, <laughs> and I just, I've always loved it. I think that, that theater is such a special place where people can come together um, and just be in a room together and experience art together. I think that's really invaluable. Um, and then when I moved to New York, honestly, just, you know, anybody who's come to New York from another place knows that surviving took over my my need to make art and it was just all about paying the next bill and so I I didn't do it for a very very long time um and then when I got into you know 10 years later I got to a point in my life in New York where I was like oh I can breathe I can do something creative I can like you know I have time I have money I can take a I can take a dance class I can take an acting class um Mm. and so I didn't like really get back into acting until I was 30, 28 or 30, and then um, then I was able to go to a conservatory and explore acting, but then also the conservatory that I went to had this uh, movement program based in the Williamson technique that I was just, which is a lot of what I do now. Um, what is this technique? I don't even... I don't What's the dummy version? I don't want to, I don't want to describe it because I know somebody's going to be like, that's not it. Um, <laughs> Uh, All right. <laughs> I, I mean, it's this guy. His name is Lloyd Williamson. He came up with this technique, um, you know, and it's it's just about I think it's I think the the point of it for actors is release. Right. Because when you're an actor, you can't be like this and expect to go through an emotional life. Right. You have to be mm. released and, and um, relaxed. And so it's based a lot in that. But then so the way that you get your body to relax is through moving it and you move it through the way that your own body moves, right? You don't, like, you're not trying, like I said, you're not doing plies, you're not doing releves, like, you're just kind of moving through space and trying to find that, like, release. And when you find that release in movement, it's beautiful because, you know, you're free and you're doing all these free movement. I guess, I mean, that's, like I said, that's probably completely <laughs> wrong. No imposter <laughs> syndrome here. Not allowed. Yeah, allowed. <laughs> okay, um, both transplants. Yeah. I do want to talk mm. about that. So both of you come from other wonderful places that are not New York City. Mm-hmm. So could you talk about what it has been like adapting? Fiamma mentioned a little bit about the struggle, just adjusting, just trying to find your footing and surviving. But could you talk about how that relates to the kind of art that you make. Mm. If it does, I know for Melanie, for sure, New Orleans is so much a part of Mm. your theater. And actually making art. Like once I got to New York City, I, you know, it's kind of like I met, I met this group of people that they lived in a building and um, they were, quite frankly, I guess, squatting in this building. and But their vision was to create a theater in the bottom floor. So uh, I moved to that building. It was a bunch of very interesting artists. And we literally created, we took the first floor apartment. And these people taught me construction, <laughs> how to build walls, d- drywalling, moved all kind of debris out of this apartment. And we actually built a small black box theater. And that's the way that I started doing theater here. We had like a, we took a kitty litter box and made the lights and literally invited audiences in 
for ticketed events at the House of Tribes Theater. Okay, I read about the kitty litter box. I read about it somewhere, maybe your website, maybe one of the articles about your work. But could you explain how you turn a kitty litter box into a, a light board? What? I mean, what it's just mean? life. It's like it's they took the the box and it, the controls were on the other side of the pan. Do you know what I'm saying? So in other words, your your lighting board, like we see this lighting board, which is like this. This was a kitty litter box, and the the oper the lighting operations was happening underneath it and was connected to the lights that was in the theater. I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't the electrician. I built some walls. <laughs> I took out some debris. You know what I'm saying? I painted. And this I, was I didn't the... connect the kitty litter box. I did run it for a few shows. The, these are the kinds of stories that make me think I complain too much. <laughs> it was, right. you know, it was for real. It was space because New York, as you know, is about space. Mm-hmm. And so we were like, if we have a space, then we can create what we want. Mm-hmm. We started writing. That's how I started writing plays. I, I started writing plays when I was younger, but when I got to New York, it was like, it was a theater. And quite, and. To be honest with you, we did a big, we had Wynton Marcellus came to our very tiny theater because he's also from New Orleans, and he did Live at the House of Tribes, which was nominated for a Grammy, that little bitty 30-seat theater. Do you know what I mean? With, the, with a kitty litter box. <laughs> That's amazing. You know what I'm saying? So and we were young, so we had no fear. We had no, the pretension wasn't there. It was about, like, getting in, building the space, and creating the art, and then and then we and then to keep going, and yeah. what a value to me it was a very valuable experience and a very valu- valuable philosophy that it has given me about creating art. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's like the 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 maybe you know I don't know the pretension is gone. Mm-hmm. To me, it's about creating space, creating potential, creating something beautiful, creating whatever messages, and getting it out there. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, Fiamma and I have had conversations about space, and I do want to circle back to that. But first, I want to hear from Fiamma about coming from Mexico, from Texas, from other places here, and what that journey and adaptation was like. Um, so I, I was born and raised in Mexico. I did. I do have family in San Antonio, Texas, as uh, you mentioned, okay. and I spent two years uh, in middle school in San Antonio, and that was the biggest culture shock for, like, a 13-year-old to go from Mexico. It's just from Mexico and a Catholic school in Mexico to a public school in San Antonio, Texas, Mm -hmm. in, like, the bad side of town was the... It was very overwhelming, um, you know, (laughs) but I, I... it informs who I am now, I guess, is the only is the only thing I can say about it. Uh, and then I went back to Mexico, um, and I moved here to go to college when I was 19. I, I will say this about myself is that I have, like, many creative interests. I definitely would consider myself, like, a jack-of-all-trade. Um, I won't say the second part because we're not – no imposter syndrome, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do – so, you know, I came to go to school here for – for fashion, and then I switched to photography, and so I did photography for a long time. Um, and you make really beautiful high-end images for magazines yeah. and for fashion companies, cosmetic companies. Yeah, so my, my, my job that allows me to do my creative endeavors on the side is I do photo manipulation, photo retouching um, for a cosmetics company. And I've been doing that for a long time. Um, 
and it pays well. It and it allows me, like I said, it's. I feel like coming here from New York, and when I came here, sorry, when I came here from Mexico, I came here. I remember I had two pairs of pants and two shirts and a pair of shoes. And, then, oh. and I know that that sounds. I know that that sounds so cliche, but it's like really. I promise you that it is true. And like I had to, you know, as soon as like the student loan came in, then I was able to go get a coat and like. So it's just been such a slow process for me to be able to just live here and, and, you know, be here. And it's just, it's, it's such a rewarding city, but it's so difficult. And it's so difficult when you don't have means, you know, and a lot of people have means and um, coming here with just nothing. And, and I didn't have any parents to support me or anything. I was just completely on my own. Like, you're going to do this. It's great. Bravo. We support you. But like, have fun. Find a way. Exactly. <laughs> and I did. And I did. But it was just like, it's it's really hard. to. I can't like understate that in my, as, uh, enough. It's just hard. You know, especially when you're like 19, you know, mm-hmm. like. Yeah. It's rough. Yeah. And yeah. as a young woman, there are already so many challenges just with surviving in this world mm. and, and navigating different relationships and getting people to give you basic respect and I'm 34 now and I still haven't figured out the latter <laughs> for sure <laughs> I mean I just want to say that I, I understand and I have to keep on reminding myself that I am very lucky because um, my mother was born in San Antonio Texas so I am a US citizen so mm. I know that that trip for me was a lot easier than it was for even, for some of my peers, even you know. So mm-hmm. I I just want to acknowledge. That, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so I'm I'm grateful for that, but it was still really, really hard. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. <sighs> okay, I do want to get back to this issue of space. Okay. So we've talked about just making space and using space. And Melanie, you were talking about that literally, right? <laughs> like like literal space. This literal space. Could right. you talk more about what New York was like back then and how it has changed since then? And if you think that kind of experiment would even be possible now with the current real estate situation. Yeah, I wonder. Well, it wasn't possible then. This was like a very <laughs> unique situation, I will say. But you know New York is huge, big, vast, and a city that we know We any little tip that you touch, there's so much more that, that you haven't even yet discovered. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So that was a unique place, you know. But at the time... Um, there was also, an, I, I, I don't know if this could exist now, but at the time there were there, there was another sense of, I had a sense of community because there was, a, mm. um, I had a mentor named Steve Cannon who was also from New Orleans and he had a townhouse in the East Village. Now, This is know. the gathering of tribes? This is a, that's a gathering of the tribe. It's Steve yes. Cannon. And, you know, it seemed way out. You know what I'm saying? That he was like this blind uh, writer from New Orleans, but he had a townhouse and he would have all these art parties. I mean, that was my experience. So it was like living at this place where we were building the theater mm. in this place in the um, on the Lower East Side. And then right around the corner, there was the New Yorican Poets Cafe, which was like a place where people were standing in line to like create poems and they still, people yeah, are still, still going in to read their poems, you know? So that was the scene that I was 
kind of hanging out in. And then Steve Cannon, to me, he kind of like created like a, a community or a space mm. where we could have a, like a foundation or a place to land. You know what I'm saying? He was like this like kind of granddaddy of like the art scene mm. down in the East Village at the time. And he was always there because he was blind and it was his house. So you would mm. go over to read to him or go and look at his art or uh, go and look at the art. He had in his home, he had created an art gallery. Mm. So I had all of these examples of people that used their own spaces and turned them into spaces for, for art. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? For public art. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? In small s- small ways, but people from all over the world will go into Steve's house and go to his art gallery and talk with him and converse with him. And now that Steve has passed away, again, at the time, it was like he always needed money. He always, it was like, how how is he going to keep this organization going? But now, in now he's he was in the Whitney. Like last year, right, just, right, exactly. Do you know what I'm saying? So, in other words, you know, you just you, if you create space, do you know what I mean? You create the art, then the rest will create whatever history that you're leaving behind or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Fiamma and I have talked about renting spaces, mm. about bartering for spaces, about finding quote professional spaces, yeah. and I'm I'm envious of of people who have the means to rent some of these glamorous spaces up front. I'm not so much envious of people who have found spaces that they were able to convert as I am like wondering how do I do the same thing? How do I, how do I make that happen? I feel like you're doing that personally. I mean, I know that you're, you know, okay, I, not I look out and not see you literally, that. but I was going to get to that yeah. about the ways that people have made space for you. Like when you came here as a college student, uh, Fiamma, were there people who made it easier in some ways, who made you feel included? Or maybe there was later on. Maybe it was just too much of a struggle from the get-go. <laughs> I was going to say, so me, me, and also me. <laughs> no. Um, I mean, I don't, you know, I think that that's kind of like, I've seen, I've seen this like in Mexico City, which has like this beautiful and amazing art scene and, um, you know, has become lately more unaffordable, but is usually unaffordable. I've seen spaces like that. I've seen places where people, you know, set up these, you know, empty spaces and they repurpose them and they make them into an art space and a theater and, uh, you know, and, you know, it's it's accessible and it's not free, but it's affordable and, like, you can do that. And I do feel like it's just not here is not possible. And that would be my dream, too. My dream would be to have, like, this amazing art space and have, you know, people come in and out. Um, You know, we're currently working with the tank, and the tank is kind of that kind of space, but I I imagine that their overhead is immense. Oh, yeah. So for listeners, viewers who are not familiar with the tank, it is a theater in Midtown, very centrally located, very accessible. It is a nonprofit, but they have so much grant support. They have so many donors. They have all these different supporters. And they do kind of run it like a co-op in the sense that once you're in with them, you can try and book spaces for shorter runs. And then they have 
a very competitive <laughs> selection process for their main stage productions. And right now, Fiamma and I are working on Mi Abuela, Queen of Nightmares, which I wrote, and Fiamma is directing. Yes. And we, yay! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> still, Wonderful. like, catching my breath over that. Uh, still, like, trying to make it happen, right? Because okay. it, it opens in September. September 8th is going to be opening night, and we'll have 16 performances. But what I'm getting to is that it took almost a year from the time that we had the workshop performance, 10 shows at the Gene Frankel Theater, to coming to the tank, yeah. right? Because I had to submit all the materials from the Gene Frankel run, and I just had to wait and wait yeah. and wait. And it's finally happening, but not at the speed that I want, right? <laughs> and part of it maybe is just my impatience. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, both of you are, are people who want to create. Like, you just have that energy about you. But, yeah. Fiamma, yes. <laughs> no, say it, say no, it. It's just, well, I was thinking, I was actually thinking, you know, like, you live in Bushwick, and when I... First move oh, not now, not now. Oh, you don't live in Bushwick anymore? <laughs> nope. Okay. Congratulations. Thank um, you. <laughs> when I first moved to New York, not necessarily, I mean, Bushwick was still kind of like a thing back then too, but you know, like you could have, I had friends that were artists that lived in these um, spaces that weren't necessarily even living spaces, but they were places where they could make their art and it was affordable to them to be an artist and to live in these spaces, you know, and none of them were like independently wealthy. I don't know, you know, maybe it's because I'm older and I don't, like, know struggling artists anymore, but I don't know where that space exists in New York anymore. You know what I mean? Like, and I don't know that it does. You know, and, like, they have artist housing and they have all these selection processes, but, like, it's they're so competitive and, like, because there's so many artists that really need this space. And the dream is, you know, to have a space like what you were talking about was, <laughs> like, amazing. I read... Uh, an article about somebody who turned their apartment also into a black box theater, you know. Um, but, like, the reality of that is just very difficult. And, like, how do we how do we create art in New York working with, you know, a shoestring budget? Like, it's just... Yeah. It's very, very difficult. You know, like, we could do it in the park, I guess. But then... That comes with its own things. And, like, it's just... It's you still a, need a permit. You need a permit, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> You know, and then, like, you need rehearsal space, and what if it's raining, and, like, so I just think it's, it would be nice, you know, to live in a place where it was a little bit easier to come across those spaces and to be able to utilize, you know, space. Mm. Space is just not available in New York, I don't, I don't feel like, you know. Yeah, I mean, I hear of people who are moving to parts of the Bronx or South Brooklyn or East Brooklyn, mm. East, East, East Brooklyn, <laughs> to try and make these kinds of spaces, but then there's the issue of getting folks to come see your work. Mm -hmm. And oh, like certain there, kinds yeah. of people are not going to go to those places because they're scared, right? And they're scared or for- they're lazy. Or they're lazy. Yeah, yeah. There's, that's true too. There's that. They don't want to go to <laughs> on the train for an hour and a half or take the Uber or whatever. I wanted to ask, shift a little bit to what making theater as a woman specifically has been like for you in this city. And just nonsense. I want to hear about what you've been 
up against, uh, it seems like, Melanie, you've had a lot of men who have been supporters and allies. It's so interesting. It is in my astrological chart. I know that's going to sound insane, but but I'm like, wow, yeah. I have had, I have had, like, almost, like, parental, you know what I mean? Like, do you know, like, parental, yeah. fit, like, dad, like, father, like, shh, you know, yeah. kind of, like, like, like kind of trying to be a foundation. Just lucky enough. Do you know what I'm saying? Um... What was the question? Just what's it like being a woman making being a theater? Woman coming up with it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't want you to share anything traumatic necessarily. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna but say, I'm going to say it's always like I do notice that, um, I don't know, I feel like you ha- kind of have to find your own confidence and your own mm. comfort and ease in the way that you move through the world. And I find that, sure, there are microaggressions that happen all the time, but, you know, I've I've always managed to create to create and and you know push push through those kinds of things. Do I feel like anyone's like closing any specific doors for me? I haven't really f- I haven't felt that way. Do you know what I mean? But it's also because maybe I'm you know my art feels almost like a calling. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. I'm just kind of moving through it and listening to my life and going okay I'll, I'll go where where people open doors and have made me welcome. That's that's where I've gravitated, you know. That, that's where I've been, they've made it possible for or helped me to create. But I don't know. I, I don't. I can't think of any real terrible, like evil lady, like you know, mad at. I I, I don't know. I'm I'm good. Like everyone's been, I know, been good so far. <laughs> I can't make okay, something up. Melanie. I can't be a badass lady, folk. Making you up are. Some mean man story. You are. The man. I don't know. He's there, but I don't know. It's yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, that's my, my truth at this point. Yeah, I mean, if that's your truth. I could probably truth. think of something real shady if you, if you <laughs> if I gave you time. Fiamma, throw some shade. Uh, I think I think that the only shade that I would be able to throw, I feel like, you know, when I do get into a place of, of creating, I tend to work in spaces that are very, like, women-centric. Or, mm, so I don't, you know what I mean? So I don't really, I don't really mess with, with all of that that much because I, I just... You know, you know where you feel comfortable, and you know where you where you flow, and that's where I flow. Um, I would say in my in my you know any sort of creative endeavor that I do, be it like photography or be it theater, um, I do find you know just just the light mansplaining, the light <gasps> consistent mansplaining. Yes. You know, where it's like, yeah. oh, here, honey. Well, actually, if you and it's like I've been doing this for a long time. Can you just you know, forget that I'm a woman for two seconds. And can you, you know what I mean? Like, I don't need you to explain yes. to mm. me how to use this, you know, soundboard. Like, I, mm-hmm. I got it. Thanks. But, you know, like, I think that that's the only thing where I, I still, you know, in some in some instances, you know, I'll encounter that. You know, even when it's yeah. like, even when it's talking, sometimes talking to certain people about, plays you know and they still find the need to like explain them to you like you haven't read them you know it's like (laughs) i'm literate thank you i'm educated thank Thank you you. yeah exactly um so i think that that's that's the only thing that i still i mean even like in my professional job that i've been doing it for almost 20 years now you know and i have to order a piece of equipment and somebody's like oh are you sure you want this it's like right I think I know what I'm what I'm looking for. Thank you. Yeah, little lady is left unsaid <laughs> <laughs> when you're lucky, but it's yeah. there. No, and even you know, I thought for a long time I wanted to give 
um, the med- the benefit of the doubt because I I look younger and I was like I think maybe it's because I look really young. It hasn't changed. That's interesting. <laughs> it stayed the same. Like it's just I think it it does, you know, have to do with with my gender, unfortunately. But. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I want to shift to happy stuff. (laughs) (laughs) What are you excited about now, creatively? Oh, goodness. What are you excited about, creatively? You have a show coming up. Well, I yeah, I do have a show coming up. Um, Melanie. Christine has... The prompt. um, Oh, I'm sorry. No, No, I'm teasing you. You I don't know. What are you excited about? Um, Christine was kind enough to trust me with this mammoth of a project, and I am very excited about um, that we're doing coming up at the tank and it's I'm excited about it mostly because it is an opportunity to I don't feel like I see a lot of Latin culture on stage um, mm. not as much as I would like to see I did see a play recently um, I forget what it was called um what was it called? Uh, anyway, I saw a play recently at Playwrights Horizons where the family was Latino. Um, but I, and it had nothing, what I liked about it is that it had nothing to do with the story. It was just like the family just happened to be Latino. Um, so that was nice. But uh, I just think that there is definitely, I'm excited about bringing this because it is going to be so entrenched in our in our culture and in our traditions. And I'm really, really excited to bring as as much of that as possible as I can. And I keep trying to remind myself to edit a little bit because I'm like, you can't just throw it all in there. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I just want to put it everything because I'm like, everybody needs to see this like amazing thing or this beautiful visual and or this music or this, you know, or this costume. But And I have to remind myself like, we, I need to edit. I need to like, you know, keep it nice and concise. But I'm really excited about that opportunity because I don't, you know, specifically like, Something about that has a reference to El Salvador, like, yeah, mm. you know what I mean. That that's that specific, um, or I just I, I'm really excited about that. I think that's a, such a great opportunity. Um, and again, thank you for trusting. Thank me. you. <laughs> yeah, you're the right person for the job. <laughs> I hope so. No, yeah, I am. I'm so excited, and I'm. Um, yeah, I can't wait for people to see it. I can't wait for people to share it with people, you know. Yeah, it's about, it's a coming of age story, and it is about a character, Maya, who's Salvadoran American, and she is trying to uncover her mother's relationship with her grandmother and figure that out. And there's family secrets and intergenerational stuff that comes out and it's all takes place during the civil war era. Uh, and it, it's in many ways personal to me, but there's a lot about it that I think many really anyone who grew up with a mom is who was an immigrant could relate to in some ways. And I think women more generally can relate to. Yeah. I think that that's also like a big part of it. Um, for both of us, I think that, that that piece of being, you know, slash American, Mexican-American, Salvadoran-American, like that experience of growing up in this country or living in this country as that is just so unique. Um, and I, I don't see all theater in New York, you know, I see a good amount of theater. 
Um, and I feel like I am excited to see more of this. So this is important to have this out there. And I thought about the name of the play that I saw, and it was called Wet Brain, and it was very, very good. Ooh, um, what a name. I think, it also t- I think it also took place in, like, Arizona. I want to say it did take place in oh. Arizona. But it had nothing to do. It was completely different like, than, than the play we're working on. But, yeah, I think it's it's important to see, you know, that representation on stage. You know, I know that they're, they're working on a freedom musical, and I, I'm, like, almost scared to see it because I feel like, People tend to generalize, you know, and I'm yeah. kind of scared of the generalization. And I'm you don't want it scared. to be corny. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, you know, like I'm like I'm scared of like that. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe they'll do an amazing job and I'm hoping that they do an amazing job. But I'm kind of I'm kind of frightened of like them making that generalization and then having to see that on stage. Mm. <sighs> I like I said, fingers crossed it's going to be amazing. <laughs> Melanie, what are you excited about creatively? Yeah, that that ma- almost made my mind blow. Like, what am I excited about? <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see. I feel like I'm excited about seeing my work in different ways or in new ways. You know, so I'm remounting a play that I did a few years ago in name November it, name called it. Enough of Your Five for the Universe, which is an Afrofuturistic piece about the last three black women on the face of the earth. The last black man goes missing, um, and they're all you know, in a kerfuffle about that. I'm excited about that piece because we're gonna see it again. But I'm also excited about, like I have a piece called Readers the Goat, and I'm interested in approaching it uh, as a film, you know, hmm. as, as someone has been doing theater for a very long time, I'm interested in that, and I'm, and I'm also interested in like you know like working on uh, my novel. So I'm interested in me, you know, sort of like branching out and expanding to other ways of creating art and telling stories. Yeah. Yeah. Fiamma, have you been working on photography projects in the past year or two in addition to doing theater or not really? Yes and no. Um, I feel like I feel like photography for me is kind of like this thing that I always go back to. Um, I tried to do it as a career and for you know a lot of the things that I talked about before, it is very difficult. Um, to be a photographer, to be a photographer versus a photo editor, versus, correct? Yeah, you know, exactly. Because yeah. I work, I have like a full time job, and you know that comes with like health insurance and four hundred one k and all that stuff that Ooh. sounds super boring for young people. But like when you when you're getting older, you're like, I need these things. Um, so I wasn't i I did do like photography for a while, and I tried to make it my my every day. But especially when you're first starting out and you're trying to get like the jobs to roll in, like there's really no safety net. You know, and, and for somebody who, like I said, really doesn't have, like, any sort of, you know, support monetarily from any outside sources, like, it, that was very hard for me to, to be able to do something with no safety net. So, you know, I, I, um, I've been taking out my camera more. It, it comes and goes, you know. It's like, I mean, you're, you're an artist. I feel like you're also multi-hyphenate and you understand that sometimes you're doing like a little bit more of this and then sometimes you're doing a little bit more of that and yeah so. wherever the resources are flowing from <laughs> sort of dictates what do I have access to right now that's what I'm going to make yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm going to do I've been going through my old photography and trying to see like if I can make prints out of some old stuff which has been interesting you know, to go through, like, an archive of, of images that you've created over, like, 10 years and be like, oh, this, this is nice. This, this isn't so bad. 
Mm. Um, but yeah, I don't, I, it's very hard, you know, with photography, it can also be the space question. Right. right. Especially for like, I really like to do portraiture. I like to do things in a studio. I like to do lights. And it's like, again, you know, you're looking at $50, $80 an hour for a studio. So. Yeah, it's prohibitive. Yeah, I mean, you don't listen. I, I'm a, I, I understand and I'm a big fan of like anybody can make art with any resources at any point, you know, but it's like sometimes these things kind of get in the way, you know. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard. Melanie, I you were talking about writing a novel, and I really think of you as a writer first and foremost, mm -hmm. and perhaps that's because I worked with you on a play where you <laughs> were the playwright, but mm -hmm. I know that you have your Black Jelly poetry book, mm -hmm. and you've written so much. That sort of practice as a writer is so solitary mm -hmm. or will you disagree do you do no, collaborative I, writing no not that i know me, of no, right no. i think that well actually i mean i teach writing oh I that's true theater in my uh day jobs but um no yeah writing is yeah i agree writing is solitary you have to be alone with your yourself and lis listen a lot to what's happening right your characters and the stories but what were you How do you make that time and space to write? And are you the kind of person who can write anywhere, a coffee shop, your apartment, the park, or do you have a very specific ritual? That's interesting. So I feel like I'm always writing because I know if I know that I have a project coming up or a, or a deadline or something, then I'm going to write because it's going. I'm going to put it up or I'm going to see it, right? Um, so once I get started, I'm going. But could I be more disciplined about my writing? The answer is yes. You know what I mean? That said, I have many plays. I've written at least, I don't know, I have like at least 12 or so plays. I'm yeah, I was going to say it's all the time. more plays like, than fingers. Yeah, it's more, more plays than fingers, you know, but, you know, that, it, that I've put up about 12 or so, I would imagine. And um, I have Black Jelly, and I haven't yet written that. I'm still writing and working on, um, on my other book, but... Um, how do I make time for that? I need to make more time for it. And I think it's almost like just honoring the writer, but I almost feel like I'm always listening. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm never bored. So in that way, I feel like I am always writing because a story will come to me and then I'll, I'll have to create it into something. But right now I'm actually enjoying like just a little tiny period of just being a person. Ooh, what's I've that those, like? I've had those moments. Yeah, the best. <laughs> it's it's interesting. I mean, because I am a writer, I don't really have to prove that so much to anyone. I feel like there are other obvi there obviously there are many other successes that I want to have in my life, and there are many other things I want to put behind me. But I'm gonna write, and I've written things. You know what I'm saying? I know that, that the things that are forthcoming are forthcoming. It's just also about you know really you got to create that peace and that space just to be a person every once in a while and mm. then you know and then that also feeds the, that those next level stories that that have to come out you know what i mean mm -hmm. so writing is is i is self care in a way do you know what i'm saying writing is like if i was a basketball player i would play basketball but I am a writer. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's not like at this point it's not like I'm making bank off of being a writer. It's like kind of like just what it's what I do. You know what I mean? Hmm. So did I answer your question? I hope I did. Yeah, I think <laughs> you did. 
<laughs> there's no there's no right answer, <laughs> answer yeah. it's whatever i don't know i write do. i make space for it do i have a particular ritual i don't know One some just, people yeah. are like i'm gonna light a candle i'm going to pray to whoever i'm going to yes well i, I will say that i am listening that is my my okay. ritual is i have to i've got to listen my to me my characters you know i can't make decisions for them hmm. it is about listening so you do have to create that space and no I, I guess if i was in a park i would be writing because i'm listening all the time but the actual like it's probably in my apartment or in some comfortable chair or something like that <laughs> yeah all right now seems like the perfect transition time i try to remember to ask this every time of my guests are you a feminist why or why not mm, you're looking at me <laughs> um i am the most feminist <laughs> I've always been the biggest feminist and you know what it kind of irks me that I feel like lately it's started to be not a good thing mm. and I don't understand why it's not a good thing anymore like uh, I'm a woman of course I'm going to lobby for myself of course I'm going to lobby for people that are also women like why wouldn't I I don't understand I don't I don't understand why why it's kind of like become negative to some people. Well, I guess it's always been negative to some people. But um No, but I, I agree that now there's a demographic you wouldn't have necessarily pinpointed before mm-hmm. of people who identify as progressive who no longer want to use the word feminist. Yeah. And I've heard it described as, oh, it's because I don't subscribe to a binary. Oh, because that's not respective, respect, respect, respectful. (laughs) Yeah, respectful of all the various gender identities that that creates too many boxes that it's not either or. But I just see it as inclusive of all women and the very including trans women all the different ways that you are and can be a woman right yeah i i'm a champion of all women you know of any shape size persuasion um cis trans like i think i'm that's not what it's that's not what my feminism is about um i would think i would say that my feminism is about i think that it is for me, it's been the most beautiful experience to be a woman, and I love it so much, and I'm so proud to be a woman, and I think that's where my feminism comes from. And I protect it fiercely, and I protect it fiercely uh, on, beha- on behalf of other women as well, you know? And I, I feel like it's still very attacked, you know? Like, mm-hmm. uh, our gender is still very attacked just for being women, and, and so I feel like there is, a, you know, in a perfect world, there wouldn't be a need for feminism, but we're not there. We are definitely, I don't think that we're there, you know? So yeah, I'm yeah. a huge feminist and I don't care. My, um, you know, I think my like, my Gen Z like nephews really think that it's like a, the, a bad thing. It's very strange. Mm. It's very strange. Like it's like this kind of like thing that's happening with like the younger generations where it's like, oh, ooh, you're a feminist, ooh, you know? And it's like, yeah. What? <laughs> like, you know, like when I was in high school, it was always like a joke. Oh, like Fiamma the feminist, and like you know, because 
you know, guys want to, like, pick on you because you're, you know, they, they want to say that you're, like, militant or something. But, like, that's not, that's not it, right? It's just, mm. like, a, it's more of a celebration, I would say. Mm. Yeah. Melanie. I mean, I don't know. I guess it makes me think of the languaging that we're all talking about at this point. I guess I've called myself, I know I've called myself a womanist, whatever that's mm-hmm. supposed to be more than I've, I've never really said, I am a feminist. I don't know that I've had to, but I, it's not like I'm not a feminist. <laughs> do, you know, do you know what I'm saying? I you know have what? definitely heard womanist more so in black communities yeah. than yeah, other communities. Yeah, and it, and it might be, because and it, that, might, that might be what it is. It's just like a word that has, you know, but um, am I about being a woman? Do I understand? I feel like my, ident- my identity and my place in the world has been met with both delight and challenges because of being a woman. Uh, you know, my shape, my size, the way that I move around. You know what I'm saying? I'm about loving myself, loving women, do what you want, all of that. And I do understand you know, my identity as opposed to the male or masculine identity and all the other identities that anyone wants to speak of. Yeah. Hmm. And is it is it like one or the other? Why does it have to be one or the other? Like, why why do I, why is it like, oh, you're a feminist, then you must hate men? Yeah. No. Yeah, it's such you a reductionist. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you're a feminist, idea. so you, might, you must, like, only want to support women. All right. No, you know, like, it's just... Like I said, it's just me loving who I am and and supporting other women, too. Because, listen, Mm. at the end of the day, like, we still need support. We still need extra support. We still need to be there for each other. Mm -hmm. You know, like, the fight's not over. So how are the ways that you try to support other women? And how do you wish other women would support you? Mm. Well, my content area and the things that I write about is about that kind of world I will say that although I think in the, my, the beginning of my time here in New York I was definitely mentored by uh, uh, certain men but right now one of the most important people for me space wise is Crystal Field who is almost a woman that must be she's a you know an elder and a wise woman that has created space for me and um and for those who don't know Miss Crystal Field is the executive director and founder and of founder of the theater for the new city, you know what I mean? And has not stopped for years, you know what I'm saying? So, and um, yeah, I think making people feel welcome, creating opportunities for people, um, keeping our voices uh, clear and in the forefront. And I think it's very important with the way that people uh, talk about certain, like they, language and words are changing now and I'm, I'm down for it because I feel like it's opening people up to different ideas but I'm also about not being edited myself do you know what I'm saying because it is taking me so much as a woman to be free to write the stories that I want to to be able to create spaces for myself and for women so um, I think that that's important that we do remember that the fight is not over and that if you're a person that's a producer, that you either need to put the story, you know, that voice, that need in front of everyone and create spaces for for people that are not likely to have a foot in the door. I believe mm-hmm. that. And I will credit you, Melanie. You were one of the first people I met in New York who seemed to to see me and support me and that was something I needed as a relatively young woman in this city. 
So See, thank you. Seeing you. Yeah. Right. Seeing you. Because you already exist beautifully and you're creating your art. Just seeing you. I'll see you more. I want to see more of you. I can't see you enough. <laughs> All right, Fiamma. Support for, for other women and from other women. I think that, um, you know, exactly what we're talking about, just uh, creating opportunities for women, you know, like um, creating spaces for them to be able to express themselves creatively. You know, um, something that comes to mind is when I – when I was doing acting full-time, not full-time, but, you know, when it was, like, my main creative endeavor, um, looking for a monologue, looking for a monologue from a woman in a play is, I, I, it's changing now, thank God, but, like, it's a monumental task. And then you have, you know, casting directors being like, oh, and also you can't use these ten monologues because they're overused. They're overused because that's all there is, you know? So <laughs> it really is, I think I think it's, and I'm not I'm not a writer, maybe someday, but um, I am not a writer, but I think it's so important to write women into plays, to write women into movies, you know, like, and I, and I do think the tide is changing. I see it happening, but I really do feel like it's, it's giving them those opportunities and those stories and like, um, yeah, I think that that's, that's where, where we need to get ahead. All right, Quickie, what advice do you have for young women coming to New York City today and especially ones who want to make art? <laughs> Find a community or create a community by any means necessary and and redirect when you hear no. Hmm. That's Don't listen don't don't hear no. <laughs> no is impossible. No happens. You, you you have to you you have you have to create your yes. That's what I would say. I mean, that's what I would say. Find community or create community, and you can create community. You can, you can. You know, it might be you. You will find a way. A creative spirit will find a resource. Will find a way. So. Hmm. Yeah, I would say be ready to hustle. Yes. <laughs> Don't be, be ready to yeah. be ready to hustle and be ready to work really really hard and. Just be ready to hit the ground running and, and you know, don't stop. But then um, what I think is also very important that we had talked about before is just having those moments of just being a person. I mean, I mm. it's taken me a long time to mm. discover that and longer than it should have. But um, I feel like just having, you know, a week, a month, even a year of just like, you know what? Because as creatives, I don't think that we understand how the other half lives. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're Which right. Is, and when I've done it, I'm like, this, are you kidding me? This is so easy. Chilling. You know what I mean? Chilling. Yeah. Chilling. You go to work, you come home, you watch some Netflix, you have some dinner, you go to sleep, you read a book. <laughs> like, it's insane. <laughs> like a normal it's life. Insane. Right. Yeah. No, I feel you. I but understand. even just having like a, like a little bit of space there to just take a break from like that hustle, because this... This city, that's all it is. It's just like hustling, you know? So I think that that's, that's what I would recommend. Yeah, I agree. Hmm. Working hard, did I, working hard, yes, but, create, but also creating your own paradise in this city. You have yeah. to. Ooh, you paradise. Have to create, you, whatever that paradise is. So, but working hard, if you're coming to New York City, you got to be ready to come on. You the the city, to, you know, yeah. Yeah, you can't, you can't just like 
sail here. You it's can't sail. Not... No, you can't sail. <laughs> no. But you should sail whenever you can. Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> take, take a moment Sometimes. to sail. For a little bit. You take a moment to sail. On the sail. subway while you're not falling asleep. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Also, Quickie, what do you want for both younger women and older women right now? Like, ideally. And I'm asking about both because I've noticed that I tend to focus on younger, but I'm trying to think more about the elders mm. and how they're overlooked or mistreated in so many ways. I want women to love their bodies and their person the way that it is, whatever that is, to reach mm. points of their own self-acceptance, to, to, if I had the time that I spent being concerned about my body image from the time that I was a young person till this morning. Do you know what I'm saying? It's just way too much. Do you know what I'm saying? And so yes. I, I really think that th there are some sort of, you know, unfair ideas about the way that people, but it's actually, it's changing. I have to say that it is changing. So I'm all about accepting our bodies, um, being healthy. Do you know what I mean? Uh, readjusting and normalizing uh, aging, Mm -hmm. Not trying to run away from that, mm -hmm. you know what I mean, um, and accepting our numbers and also getting rid of our numbers, the numbers of our ages, the numbers of our weight. What do they? What do they have to do really ultimately do with your worth and your value? Fiamma. First, can I just say that was beautiful? Yeah. I I, I feel like I needed that, so thank you. Good. Thank God you. Bless. Um, I think I want women, young and old, to just be able to do whatever that bleep they want whenever, <laughs> whenever the bleep they want to do it and not feel bad about it That's yeah I, I love it live your life how you want to live it whatever your age you know and don't you know if you do whatever you want just, yeah you know, that's it well, that is all the time that we have. Thank you so much, my dear viewers. My illustrious guests have been Melanie Maria Goudreau and Fiamma Piacentini, both theater makers but artists of various stripes. I'm your host, Christine Stoddard. Tune in next time.